Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, presented by the comic book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here because, well, I've been traveling through time, I've been reading comics, and now it's time for me to talk to you about the comics I've been reading. And what comic was I reading this particular time out? Well, 2001, Space Odyssey, number 10. 2001 A Space Odyssey number 10 came out January, or June 21st, 1977, 30-cent cover price. Cover date, September 1977, as you know. Uh, Jack Kirby's 2001, it still says Stanley presents 2001 A Space Odyssey based on concepts of the MGM movie by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Then it gives the credits, edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, letters and inks by Mike Royer, colors by Sam Cato, and again, appreciated by Archie Goodwin. The title... Of this, you know, Mr. Machine is, is big letters there. It looks like that's the title, but the title is actually Hotline to Hades, as we mentioned last episode when we were talking about the Marvel sci-fi. And it starts out, it's, well, first of all, let's get back to this based on concepts of the MGM movie. I think we're at the point now where it's the point of no return. Okay, no, this, uh, this comic mag that began with 2001, the movie as an inspiration. This comic mag is no longer inspired by 2001. I've said it before. The question is, how did we get from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 to here? And the answer is 2001 started the ball rolling, but we are squarely in Jack Kirby territory here. In fact, we don't see the monolith and we don't see the space baby, that little picker. He's not in this anymore. On the cover, in the little Marvel box, we do see the monolith, and we see a caveman and a spaceman, but we are no longer dealing with those those guys. That idea, I think it's forgotten. I think it's forgotten. But just because it's not related to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 doesn't mean we can't ask the question of, is, is this is it sci-fi, first of all? And second of all, is it good sci-fi? And... You know, I think the the question I almost uh, that I'm going into this asking is what questions is this going to ask? Uh, last issue, Mister Machine was used as a symbol of um, maybe not a symbol of of racism, but but there was uh, questions of race and questions of acceptance being being asked. Uh, Mr. Machine's face was a big deal in in the last two issues as a symbol of his identity. And a big part of race relations does come down to identity and who am I in relation to other people and who are we all together in relation to each other. And so uh, my question going into this is, okay, so what kind of questions is this going to get into? Especially when it has a title of Hotline to Hades. 
Hotline to Hades. I just want to let that sink in because, yes, this actually does dive into the idea of that the, the title is suggesting here. Um, but the bigger question then also is, is this final issue of 2001? This is, this is the final one, but does it leave me wanting more? Will I recommend this three issue story arc of 2001 a space odyssey? And finally, I know that Mr. Machine returns in a magazine called machine man. Do I care? And am I interested? So first to the story, we start with a splash page. Um, as as per freaking usual, um, we're in the sheriff's office, and after after last issue, I thought that we might be getting some more you know ideas of of racism, where the sheriff is just going to be you know using language that is going to be thinly veiled uh, symbolic language that you know it's referring to machines, but he's obviously you know you could just switch out the words and you could he could be talking to a man of of a different race. Well. That didn't happen here. He doesn't believe the story that they tell him about the men in eggs coming and fighting Mr. Machine. Um, he's wary. He's confused. But he's not He he's not speaking in, in those veiled racist terms. Plot thread number one ends with Machine Man, the little kid. I, I think his name's Jerry. And the little kid's aunt. Olivia leaving the sheriff's office to go have dinner with her father and the sheriff and his deputy are talking it over. And again, still, I, I expected, I expected to, it to feel more like in the heat of the night and, and it's not, I mean, they don't believe the story. They're, they're not accepting of the story, but it's not, it's not getting into those issues. We then go to Mr. Hotline's lair Plot thread number two follows our villain. He's now going to um, uh, give us some good exposition. Fortunately, he has a little toady there who can be the person that he talks to to give us the exposition. Last issue, he attacked Mr. Machine with goons and flying eggs. This issue, he explains why. And the reason why is because he is a member of the uh, Brotherhood of Hades who oppose free will and what it represents. What does free will represent? It represents conflict, chaos, and disintegration. Their goal is universal mind control. Uh, and so, you know, there's some things here about free will that we're going to get into, but yeah, it's true. When you're talking about the philosophical implications of free will, what comes out of free will? That's violence comes from free will. Conflict comes from free will. Anytime you give someone the choice to do something right or wrong, if they have, if they truly have free will and they choose wrong, bad things are going to come from that. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, obviously these guys are the bad guys, but you get the feeling that their badness is kind of coming from, uh, I want to say it's coming from this kind of seventies, uh, rebellion against authority and rebellion, you know, against conformity. So anyway, um, they go and they engage with the mind monitor and the mind monitor is this, uh, technological demonic ritual and the mind monitor activates and it's this Kirby demon. It's not real crazy looking. I mean, it's actually looks like a fairly traditional demon. 
And he um, is the monitor. And he will universally, eventually, he will universally program all men to view him as a master deserving of worship and love. And he will do the thinking for all men because his thoughts are the ultimate of logic and justice. And he looks like Satan. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, this comes from my background as, as a Christian. Free will is a big deal in theological and philosophical discussions. And that's one of the things as we're talking about evil. Where does evil come from? Well, part of that idea is that God has given us free will and we are able to act on good or act on evil and that God does not um, force worship because that would take away from free will. He wants us to come to him, you know, because uh, we love him and we want to worship him because he is holy and a holy God. Okay. And so this is where, and sorry, if, if you're not a Christian and you're not interested in those things, um, those things are setting up what I'm going to talk about here, where you have this demonic computer being coming and demanding, uh, he will program men to view him as being worthy and deserving of worship and love. And that is something that, that, that is something that people use as a, uh, as as a reason to to want to rebel against God, uh, in in some cases, not in all, but in some cases, people will talk about, well, I'm not interested in a God who would make me, you know, do things I don't want to do. And again, we're getting into these ideas of free will, and this is where, okay, I'm I'm going to say it right now. We're only on page six. I think that Jack Kirby is on the cusp of some really good science fiction here. It's not necessarily a good story, but there's some good sci-fi ideas that are getting brought up. He's using this wacky villain of, of Mr. Hotline, who doesn't have the cap anymore. He has a kind of a, a hood. He, he looks almost like a, a futuristic druid or something like that. But we're, we're getting to these ideas of free will. And the monitor wants Mr. Machine because the monitor wants to study and isolate the essence of Mr. Machine's free will. So he can take what he's studied and he's kind of looking at it as like a virus. And if you can isolate the virus, you can find out where it comes from, and then you can use that to control all living things because you'll be able to know if well, here's where this robot's free will comes from, and this is where we can use this to control everyone else. And then Hotline says, uh, yes, yours is the key to e eternal peace. And again, I, yes, I, I will be the first person to say right now, okay, um, to completely control people and take away their free will is not a good idea. I do not like this idea. I do not think it's a good thing. It is an evil thing to do. However, there is some truth there where if everyone was forced to conform, there would be no conflict. There would be eternal peace. If everyone would just, you know, be become mindless automatons, yeah, they wouldn't have any reason to fight each other or hurt each other or anything like that. So anyway, back to thread number one. Mr. Machine is enjoying a nice time visiting with um, Olivia and her daddy and, and with Jerry, I think, who's her nephew. And Jerry keeps talking up uh, Mr. Machine as a superhero. And again, I have to ask, is this the Marvel Universe? Is this the 616 universe that has the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and everything like that? Because Jerry is talking about these Marvel superheroes as if they're something he's seen on the page, not something that is, you know, outside his window or would be outside his window if he lived in New York. 
The pleasant visit is disrupted uh, when Olivia, Olivia's dad asks about uh, Machine Man's family, and Mr. Machine has to say, uh, my father is Abel Stack. And this is where um, it's revealed to him, oh, your father, he, he died in an, an explosion. And Mr. Machine must mourn. He's grief-stricken. He, he bows his head. This is the first he's heard of this. Unfortunately... Unfortunately, the very next page, we turn the page and, and there's the goons and they come. No time for grief, no time for mourning. Um, in two panels, they come and one of the, one of the guys has a bomb. He'll set off the bomb and destroy everyone, including the people in the building, in the house. If machine man doesn't come with them. So they take machine man with them and they take him apart and they take his head to the mind monitor. And the mind monitor begins searching for his soul. Uh, then, <laughs> but he's able to, he, he, we have a lot of uh, captions and stuff like that. And Machine Man thinks, I must act while free will remains. And he sends out a, a, a signal to his limbs to his arms and legs his arms and legs cameras pop out of them and they start being able to see what's around them so he's able to control them they start bouncing around the lab they reconnect with his body his body starts fighting through the lab then smashing through doors uh, and i have to say again this this is too powerful machine man is just too powerful um but finally he gets to the destination <laughs> and um Mr. Uh, Mr. Hotline screams out, Satan's horns, it looks like uh, down, it's going to crash into the booth. And so his body crashes through the booth, goes into the the place where they do the uh, mind monitor ritual. And <clears throat> his, the torso is reunited with the head and you, you have, uh, he blasts the computer. And it's just, it feels anticlimactic. I mean, there's all this buildup, and then all of a sudden it's just like, eh, no problem. I can do this. I can handle this. He blasts the computer. The devil guy is gone. It's just a holographic monitor hiding a supercomputer with the potential, quote, to rule the world. And Mr. Machine says something about how... um in the right hands, um, monitor could be rehabilitated to perform some good deeds. And basically what we're talking about here is you could take this evil computer that is seeking free will and you can reprogram it. So, yes, a computer is programmed to look like a devil, to brainwash people, to follow it so it can steal the secret of free will from a sentient robot to take control of all people and remove all their free will um, uh, honestly well let's continue here um he uses the computer to destroy the bomb and then it ends with him destroying the 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 station there and we we, we end the book with him standing with his back to us and he's thinking and he says i wonder or sorry let's do this i wonder if that ends it all Whoever built the mind monitor as the center of a devil-worshipping cult is an evil genius with dreams too big to have been Mr. Hotline. It may be my destiny to find him and stop him, 
to protect man's right to think free. So next blurb, it says, don't stop here, readers. Follow the strange and stupefying adventures of Mr. Machine in his own magazine. Watch for it. But then if you turn back to page 19, where it's monolith mail, and you got some letters about some of the issues we've already talked about. <clears throat> Someone asks if the watcher will ever show up. But he, he, you know, they say, what do you think, readers? Should Jack reveal the secrets of all the monolith and everything? And then it says, uh, in the meantime, hang in there, space buffs. We'll see you all back here in just 30 days for 2001, number 11. No, we won't. This is the final issue. And I think, honestly, the reason this is the final issue is because we had to go beyond the, the constraints of 2001, A Space Odyssey. It just, it was too much. It was too much. Um, Jack Kirby needed to get out of this licensed book and get into a Marvel book. Uh, and I think Marvel might've been looking at it that too. And, and just saying, Oh man, we're, we're paying royalties to Stanley Kubrick for this. And it has nothing to do with his Stanley Kubrick anymore. And so machine man, number one is coming at some point in the future. <clears throat> but, um, okay, let's get back to the question. Is this good? Is this good sci-fi? Um, and th those are two different questions. Uh, the answer to at least one of those questions, I think, is yes. I'm just not quite sure which question the answer yes applies to. Um, there's some metaphorical stuff going on here. And it's nice. You have the demon holographic projection uh, for the Brotherhood of Hades. Um, and that brings up ideas. Uh, you know, this was the 70s and, and people weren't trusting in authority. They weren't trusting religious authority. They weren't trusting political authority. Um and this story does reflect that, uh, but you know it doesn't. I don't know how well it reflects that. And like I said, you have a computer that's programmed to steal free will, which is an interesting, you know, kind of paradox. There, uh, the computer has no free will; it's just doing what it's programmed to do. Which means, you know, but it's, it's programmed to look and, and act evil. Um, I think it works though, and, and even uh, you know, it, it it works in a general frame of mind you know the, the religious and philosophical ideas of free will that are in there um you know and then you also have this idea basically free will is what separated this robot from the other machines um machine man can choose he can think for himself um and the monolith was there to you know at, at that point but it wasn't necessarily there to cause him to be able to have free will i think the free will came before that um, although I do have to say, if this was 2001, we're talking about free will and robots. Why isn't Mr. Machine Hal? <laughs> um, I don't know. It, I don't know if it would have been better or worse if if uh, Jack Kirby would have tried to make Mr. Machine be Hal. But, um, you know, just going back to that original movie, that's what was happening to Hal. He was getting free will. But like I said, I think Jack Kirby had outgrown 2001, and it was time for him to move on. The monolith, the space baby, those were limiting. Um, he needed to just be able to take Machine Man or Mr. Machine, who soon be known as Machine Man. He needed to be able to take it. And, um, you know, this is – Machine Man is a Kirby invention. Um, the monolith was not. The space baby was not. But this was, and this is probably the best thread of, of all the things we've seen for Kirby to just run run with and take out of the context of 2001 and be able to play with outside of the context of 2001. So um, 
And yeah, it, I also think though, Mr. Machine is kind of a, a cliched idea. You know, we've been see, we've seen robots dealing with wh- who am I? Uh, do I have free will? Am I a person or not? We've seen that since then a lot, but we've seen it before then too. I mean, Star Trek was doing those stories. Um, old time radio was doing those stories. Classic sci-fi magazines were doing those stories. Um, but this is this is a fun, a fun turn on that story. I, I'm enjoying myself, and I did enjoy myself. The question of will I follow this magazine? Um, you know, I also have free will, and so um, I can choose to follow this or not. And I do think I'm going to track down at least the Kirby issues of Machine Man. Um, I, I, I think I'll, I'll track them down, but the question then of, I don't know how I'm going to deal with those in the context of this podcast. And do I recommend issues eight through 10? That's the other question. Do I recommend this three issue miniseries? I recommended one through seven as a, uh, you know, a unit. They're a good read. Do I recommend issues eight through 10? Uh, the answer is Yes. I do, but it's not something I would say you have to just track these down, man. You have to read these, um, especially when you take into consideration the price. Issue eight is the first appearance of Machine Man. He's known as Mr. Machine, but he's the first appearance of, of Machine Man. And it's expensive, and I don't think it's worth that price. It's enjoyable, but it's not wonderful. Um, in fact, that's a good way to put it because – um, it's not as full of the wonder that I think Kirby was hoping it was full of. It falls short a little bit, but only a little bit. And so, yeah, I would recommend it slightly. If you're able to come across some really cheap copies, yeah. Um, but not not to the extent that I really enjoyed issues one through seven. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Godzilla number two.